This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spiritualist Podcast hosted on the Be Here Now Network. And I am very excited to have my special guest today, Panash Desai. Panash, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, Chris. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, it's a, it's a pleasure is all mine. So let me read your bio, and then we're just going to get into this pretty organic, flowing conversation, um, which I'll talk a bit more about after we do the bio. So Panash Desai is a best-selling author, storyteller, and a business and life catalyst who for over 10 years has been using energetic transformation to positively change the lives of countless people around the globe. Best-selling author of Discovering Your Soul Signature, a 33-day path to purpose, passion, and joy, Panash's new book will be published by HarperCollins early next year. Panache has been interviewed by Oprah Winfrey on her wildly popular Super Soul Sunday show. Yeah, I haven't gotten that call yet, but, you know, we'll see what happens there. It, it's coming. <laughs> yeah. um, he has also appeared on Dr. Oz, Huffington Post, The Good Life Project, and countless other media outlets. The chairman of the Desai Companies Incorporated, Panache has helped entertainers, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and everyday people up-level their business and their lives, allowing them to reach astonishing levels of personal and professional success. He creates strategies designed to help people master the game of relationships, help, finances, life, and more. This mastery then allows them to discover and live a life that is truly without limits, creating a lasting legacy that benefits everything it touches. And Panash, before we get into the conversation, um, I forgot to add your email, uh, or not email, pardon me, your website address. Um, so f- we will include that right in the link on the Be Here Now page. But uh, what is yeah. that address? It's just my first name and last name, dot .com. So it's panashdesai.com. So Perfect. it's P-A-N-A-C-H-E-D-E-S-A-I.com. Awesome. <laughs> and for anyone checking this out on Be Here Now, simply just scroll down and you will see that link. You'll also see a link to Panache's uh, best-selling book and all sorts of other great information. So that said, Panache, so excited about this. Um, for listeners, I had the honor of uh, being, I wouldn't even say interviewed, having a lovely conversation with you um, and was invited for an upcoming event you're doing uh, called the Global Gathering. We'll talk more about that later on. And um, 
I've appreciated your work for quite a while. So it was really special earlier. I think it was earlier this year or last year when uh, Marsha, who works on your team, invited me to write for Soul Spring, your website, and uh, amongst many of my great teachers. And um, it's just crazy how life works out. Something I, to this day, still have a hard time wrapping my head around. This is what I'm doing, especially looking back at what I, where I came from. And, you know, that segues into uh, your story, because while we had similar upbringings, we had a lot in common as well. So I know that, you know, you were born and you you were in a very spiritual family. Um, I know you've talked about the Bhagavad Gita, something that is a dear book to my heart and a lot of the Vedic and Upanishad traditions um, earlier on. And then you were bullied as a child and into the teenage years and and this became you know something that you held in and essentially became too much you turned to drugs uh, alcohol music all things that you know I can relate to so i thought that would be a good place for us to kind of jump from is maybe if you could elaborate a little bit on on your journey you know being a child and yeah. that experience and what led you to drugs and then you had this awakening and i think it was 2001 you talk about it's rather interesting circumstances yeah. Yeah, I think, I, and I think I want to share it both from my perspective and my story, and also our collective story, because I, I think that. it's it's also a part of our collective story. Yes. So for me, uh, I was born into a, a deeply spiritual family. Um, my grandmother raised me for the first five years of my life, and basically, it was all about an atmosphere of prayer and worship. And um, Hinduism isn't actually a religion; it's it's called Eternal Truth. The translation of Sanatan Dharma is Eternal Truth. Yeah. And Eternal Truth permeates every faith and every religious background actually. And so I grew up with a deep respect of every spiritual teacher and messenger that ever existed uh, right. because our relationship with, with God was always infinite. Uh, it wasn't finite, it wasn't uh, restricted to a form. You know, we understood that this infinite mystery that we're trying to connect with is in all things. And um, so I grew up in this state of profound connection and oneness basically. and. That in and of itself prompted its own set of challenges because here I am living in this profound state of connection, navigating duality yeah. and living in a world that's just filled with pain. Um, and subsequently, as I've gotten older, I've been able to kind of just sit with that and, and really examine why that is. And so for me, it began in the school system. Uh, my uh, education led to me becoming a very domesticated human being. Uh, meaning that I learned what to say, how to behave, to be docile and compliant, uh, and to be a, a unit of production. Yeah. Uh, and that's basically what our school system does. It, it, it conditions us uh, to become a unit of production. And the more we comply with the format of the school system, the more we can then evolve through the um, corporate ranks to get to uh, a position of power or a position of authority, primarily because we've mastered the game of being a domesticated human. Um, so I, like most people, had you know learned to, how to roll over so someone would scratch my belly and what tricks to perform so I would get a treat. Right. Uh, and and this is, these are all the things that we do as a part of living in duality. Um, and subsequently, I had moved away from that spiritual kind of background about the age in my teens. There was a, a moment when my parents were going through a very challenging time with each other. Uh, my mom was on, on the verge of a breakdown and... Um, She'd just been carrying all of this trauma and stress inside of her, the pressure of providing for me, uh, for, for, my, for, for, for my father at that point, essentially, and just taking care of every aspect of life. And this 
breakdown in my mother was crushing for me. Uh, it, it was very hard for me because I was so close to her. Um, and I could see how hard that she had worked. Uh, I could see the extent to which she was quote unquote sacrificing yeah. or just doing what she knew to do to give me the best opportunity of life that she could. And right around the time when this was happening, this was like in my teens, uh, and there was some bullying that had happened earlier, but, but this moment really, this pivotal moment in the family dynamic was the, was the, was the breaking point for me sure. uh, or the point of breakthrough, I should say. Um, so my mom, uh, moves out, uh, basically doesn't want anything to do with myself or my father, uh, goes to live with a friend of hers. And, um, I was just crushed. Like I was just completely crushed. Uh, my, the, the only point of reference that I had for safety or love or connection was no longer in my life. Right. Uh, my father had been there. My, my father had been there in, in, in the world, but my dad, you know, uh, was more about being social and going out and, you know, he was wired that way, you know, response, the responsibility gene wasn't deeply entrenched in my father. Um, so my dad's a great person to have a good time with, but, but, but he's not, he's not someone who's going to be reliable or responsible for all of the facets of life and living in the way that my mother was. Sure. So, uh, this prompted me to kind of, it caused so much pain in me, Chris, so much pain. And, uh, and the only way, the only outlet I had literally saved my life. I, I, in London, we have two, two spectrums of the FM dial. There's the, there's the 90 point something to about 92 and there's the 107 to about the 105, these two ends of the FM dial, um, that are pirate radio stations. Yeah. And London, London at that time had a flourishing underground, uh, movement as far as, uh, music and, uh, literally tapping into this music and this movement of music really saved my life. It gave me another place of belonging, a place where, I had an outlet creatively to write lyrics and to go out and perform and to do things. And, and it, and it started in people's bedrooms. I had friends that were DJs. They had turntables in those days. We used vinyl. Uh, you know, people would take the train to go to black market records, one of these major record stores in the UK, buy the vinyl, come back, be so excited, we create mixtapes and all of that. And that gave me an outlet. Yeah. And, uh, that outlet subsequently led to me being on pirate radio, performing at raves, in front of thousands of people and basically being pretty much the only Indian kid at that point who was in that whole scene. Uh, yeah. All of my friends were from the islands, they were predominantly Jamaican, from St. Kitts, different different, different islands and uh, more from the Caribbean. And, uh, and so I was the only kind of Indian kid in that mix. And uh, it was very interesting because music at that point in London was, was a point of authenticity and connection. It really brought everybody together. Yeah. And of course with it, there was this drug culture that was a part of it. Uh, and um, a lot of my friends at that time uh, were in the import and export business, and they and they specialized in distribution. I'll just say that. And uh, wink, and, wink, and, I and, follow you. <laughs> and they and they were very good at the, the distribution end of things. They were operating at a very high level in that whole world. And so somehow I had all of a sudden become friends with these people that just loved me, and and uh, and I just loved them. And and it didn't matter to me what they did. It didn't matter to me how they lived their lives. I understood the pain that they were operating inside of. And I think that they really appreciated having me in that. Like they would always say, you know, you're our good luck charm. You know, like you're, you're you know, you're, they, so even then people could feel the energy even in the height of my pain or wanting to escape everything that was happening at home or, you know, this kind of um, heartbreak. Uh, yeah. Even in the midst of all that, people could still feel the essence of who I was. 
And um, so my involvement in the music scene culminated with a set of very violent, uh, almost life-ending experiences. Uh, basically, underground music at that point was happening in Brixton, uh, East London, uh, parts of London that were very rough at that point. Uh, we didn't really have a gang element at that time, so it wasn't really gang-related, but there was still uh, certain friction and tension between different parts of London, sure. uh, different affiliations. And so you could be in an, uh, at an event, and all of a sudden, somebody steps on somebody's foot and next thing you know, someone's getting stabbed in their neck. Yeah. I mean, literally it's, it's like, that's how it is. Uh, and typically there's some kind of an altercation typically over a girl, something's happening somewhere where all of a sudden guns are coming out, knives are coming out and, and, it, and it's potentially life ending. So I was literally putting my life on the line to be a part of this movement, uh, in its early phases. Uh, and typically these clubs were after hours clubs, uh, they didn't have, you know, security. It was just kind of where everyone milled together and just kind of hung out. And it was like a, it was either a, a wonderful evening or it was a melting pot for just a mess, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. And uh, we ended up um, uh, one night at a after hours club in Brixton. And prior to my arriving there, somebody had been shot there. I didn't know. Mm. Uh, and we arrived. We're in the club. Uh, next thing, I'm emceeing, doing my music thing. And uh, about 50 armed SWAT police have surrounded the building and uh, with dogs. And they wouldn't come in because there were guns on the premises. And uh, so they didn't want to force like a hostage situation or any kind of an issue. So what their policy is just to wait outside. And uh, they didn't breach. And basically at that point, everybody was escorted one by one outside of the club and uh, had their picture taken and had their information taken down and whatever and just interviewed about what they were doing there. And I had gotten to a point in my life where I started to wake up. You know, I started to really begin to realize how dangerous this was. And um, as much as I love the music, love the movement, you know, on any given night, you know, my friends were from all walks of life, you know, uh, aristocrats to London's most wanted to, you know, just people who genuinely had a passion for the music. Yeah. And basically, this series of events that led to this uh, evening marked the culmination of my time in that movement. And uh, the next day I woke up and I was just done. And I um, said to my mother, who had integrated her way back into the family dynamic again, uh, Mom, I need to go away and just live like a month for six months. And um, I need to get back to the feeling that I had when I was in the meditation room when I was a kid. Right. Because right now, I'm living everyone else's version of my life. I'm not living my version of my life, right? So um, I had reached the the pinnacle of being a domesticated human where all of a sudden that authenticity that I had come here to express uh, that I that I had an outlook for through music had been completely conditioned down. Mm. Uh, and needless to say, I was miserable. Um, and my relationship with, with drugs was interesting because, because I was surrounded by people who are in the import-export distribution business at a very high level uh, they actually didn't allow me to do anything. Uh, they would allow me to do certain things, but only things that were safe or only where they could keep an eye on me. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to deeply immerse myself into that culture um, because they loved me. And, and and I was the only one out of that group of people that was actually studying, that was actually doing something with my life. Like yeah. so, So they respected and loved that enough to not jeopardize that. So even when I was out and I was emceeing, they'd always stand with me, they'd be around me. And this was a group of people that you would stay away from typically. Like people, they were very known in London. So you, there was never an issue, right? Uh, 
And so it's weird how they even played this role in protecting me and in protecting my future and who I was. It's almost like they knew something about me that I didn't know. Mm. Uh, or they could just see the goodness in me or whatever it was, and they wanted to, to preserve that. Um, so it was a very interesting time for me growing up in London. And uh, amazing life. You know, it just goes to show that even if you, you incarnate into this place of oneness and you have this amazing spiritual connection, life still happens. You know, duality is still a part of the experience. And, and, then, and then we have to at some point unwind the damage of egoic existence, right? Believing right. that separation is real. And uh, <laughs> so that's a, that's a very quick snapshot of, uh, of my life and evolution. Yeah, I mean, so much resonates as you're saying this. I'm thinking of like a million things to reply to because, like I said, so much in common. One of the big differences was that the way I was raised was not uh, spiritual or religious. My parents, uh, I think they believed in, you know, the typical God, but I never went to church. And then as I became a teenager, I got involved in punk rock and hardcore, which was just similar to you. It was either beautiful, it was a very like, community-based, like DIY, do-it-yourself sort of thing. But there were guns and there were fights and stabbings. And I mean, I was involved in some of those. And whether I was in the crowd or on stage in a band playing, like I have some wonderful memories and some traumatic memories from, you know, some of what I witnessed and some of what I partook in. And, uh, And that led me into a place where I became... I didn't know the difference between spirituality and religion. I just, I didn't like any of it. I was young. I had no context around it. Um, So I thought it was a crutch and it was very, I don't even know if atheist is a word. I just hated the idea of like anything having to do with that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I got into college that um, a professor who became like a a motherly figure to me, I remember I had a meeting. um, She was also my, uh, uh, whatever they call that. Um, it's been so long since I've been in school, but they help you decide your courses for the next semester. And um, yeah. so I'm looking around her, her office. It's my first time in there. And I see a Ganesh. I see Mother Mary. I see Christ. I see Buddha, like all these different pictures. And I said to her, I'm like, what's going on here? And she goes, well, what do you mean? I, I said, aren't you supposed to like pick one and go with it? And that was like how ignorant I was. And and she was the one that completely shifted everything for me and mm-hmm. um, opened my heart and my mind to something that I had been very closed off to. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, for me, it's literally saved my life, though, even though once I stepped on the path, things did not get better. You mentioned it's, it's human experience, but uh, it's definitely the saving grace of what I'm here And the other thing, I mean, of all the things, there's so much I wanted to respond to, but I also wanted to mention, I appreciate how you said that um, the tradition uh, of of Hinduism is, it respects all wisdoms and recognizes the the interconnectedness of everything. Because that's what really opened my heart, was I did not like a lot of the dogmatic tenets of certain traditions. I, and to this day, a lot of them don't resonate, but I look at the more mystic elements of those traditions. And I absolutely adore that. And and uh, I think it was Nagar, Nar, Nar, Nisra Gadatta. It was well, Nisra Gadatta Maharaj, absolutely, and Ramana Maharshi. I love that. Uh, and yeah. then uh, Ramesh Balkasar, but uh, um, Nagarjuna. That's who I was trying to say. Ah, the okay. Buddhist yeah. uh, scholar who talked about the two truths, which is also discussed in Hinduism: the truth yeah. that 
there is the ultimate and there is the relative. As you know, the ultimate, the unmanifest, um, pure potentiality, and then the relative, everything that takes form. And and he said, one is not truer than the other. They are the two truths. And and for me, that helped because spirituality to me was all about like negating human experience and the body is like just uh, you know a hindrance and um, and that led me into physics. And I, before I I stray further, I digress. But I really appreciate that you know you brought that up because that's a, a approach that I take in the way that I offer and when I teach and write. And I think that's what resonates with people increasingly these days. Um, people, I, people, people forget that, you know, pre-colonial India was uh, a home to every major world religion. It was one of the only countries in the world where people of different religions live peacefully and harmoniously together. Yeah. And it was only because of the British policy of divide and conquer yes. when they turned everybody against each other and used religion as the vehicle to do that, that now all of a sudden we have this tension with Pakistan and between Hindus and Muslims and, you know, Sikhs and, and, and different, different, uh, entities that were that, that are brothers that to this day still are brothers at, at some point that reunification has to happen uh, right. because because the separation happened uh as a control mechanism and and the separation happened basically so that all of the resources uh that were in that nation could be exploited mm. uh you know we've seen it in africa we've seen it all over the world and uh you know divide and conquer um, was actually a theology that was based in separation. It's the height of separation. It's if I can engender a sense of fear uh, between one group and another group, it makes it much easier for me to rule. Right. Um, and, and the reason why I bring that up is because I think that in spirituality, uh, some of that uh, ideology has permeated into that space because, you know, we're not inclusive of our emotions. We're not inclusive of our body. We're not inclusive of what we deem to be lower vibrational um, and all of these things are just manifestations of the mind. You know, the, the mind forms uh, some kind of a quantitative uh, perspective of reality. Um, and we, as the observer of reality, basically then filter the pure potential through that lens, through that unique lens. Yeah. And so what we have to do is end our own kind of divide and conquer inside of us. And I think spirituality also gets a bad reputation and not, not even a bad reputation, but it's not taken as seriously in the world as a transformative medium because of the amount of superstition that's present in the genre. Right. And, and at some point, we have to evolve beyond the superstition as well, because right. some of the things that people are holding on to as truth sound almost medieval uh, in 2019. Right. right. So if we can revert back to this, this basic foundation of eternal truth, and, and recognize that there is eternal truth present in Judaism, in Christianity, in, in Buddhism, in, in every major world religion, there is an eternal truth or a principle or tenet that permeates the whole ecosystem before all the human distortions. I really believe we can come together as a species. I, I couldn't agree more. And I like to think, I try to be optimistic, um, not in a Pollyannish sort of way, but I try to yeah. see the positive in things. And um, you know, I speak at a lot of conferences and events, and I have been seeing increasing numbers at the majority of them of people that I typically wouldn't have seen 10 or 15 years ago. And by that, yeah. I don't necessarily mean tattooed like me, but maybe younger people or, you know, not your quote unquote, what people would envision as looking like spiritual. On mm. the other hand, I still, you know, catch flack often. Um, from these people that are living in outdated paradigms and and not to judge them because that's their business and and that's their journey and they're stuck in that. Um, 
But, you know, I, I remember when my first book came out um, five years ago, I was very blessed to have people like Ram Das and Tara Brock and all these teachers that I learned so much from, not only write endorsements, but share about it on Facebook. And uh, I remember the majority of the like, comments were really nice and supportive. But then, you know, there was a picture of me and you could see my tattoos and uh, a few people commented like, how could this person know the first thing about spirituality when they would do that to their body? And, you know, like I've learned over the years to th have a thicker skin. I'm still very sensitive. And, and that's another thing that resonated from very early, like six, seven, eight. I remember being, you know, feeling very deeply others emotions. Um, but that's something that does permeate still to this day. I was just out yeah. at the IONS conference, Institute of Noetic Sciences, uh, a weekend ago or a week ago. And that was my first kind of science conference, but they brought me out because I also recognize the wellness factor uh, is integral to the collective. Like you took that, you know, viewpoint answering my first question. And so I did 15 minutes on the main stage and then I had a breakout and I had no idea how I was going to go over. I walked in there and I don't, you know, I'm me, I'm Chris. I, I'm Chris wherever I go and I try to be authentic, something I know that you talk quite a bit about. And uh, I was really happily surprised that, you know, I had the the crowd was laughing like a thousand people just having a good time. And and that meant a lot. Like it touched my heart to see. And I'm sure not everyone in that room like was happy or resonated, but the 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 majority were. So anyways, I say all that just to say, like, it, I'm happy to see the shift. And, and that's the approach I take as well. Trying to offer the the root of these tr teachings that that still do hold true, but in a way that is updated or accessible that makes sense in 2019. Yeah, I did an interview uh, very early on when I was kind of first out there and speaking about all of this, uh, and it's on YouTube somewhere. And basically, I said that spirituality has become single-handedly one of the biggest limitations that we have to mm. overcome in the modern age. It's almost become like the new religion. Right. Uh, the only issue in spirituality is that people can judge themselves in 16 dimensions instead of just three. Yeah. So. So, so the, the layer of judgment that there is there or this kind of puritanical approach to spirituality is very off kilter, almost so that if Jesus actually knocked on most people's front doors today, they would probably turn him away because they wouldn't recognize the essence of who he is. Right. Uh, right. And, and so for me, um, and I want you to know that if you and I switched bodies right now, uh, you would still experience the same judgment, actually. Yeah. Um, because because what's driving that judgment is the pain of the individual and the incompletion of the individual. Right. And your authenticity brings that pain to the surface mm. because they have to look in the mirror of what they're unwilling to face about themselves. Mm. And people don't want to do that because underneath the judgment is always some form of pain. There's always separation. Right. There. It's never about you. Right. And, and I had to get this really early on because like you and I are like a Warhol and a Basquiat hanging on a wall <laughs> in a museum, right? Like you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. Right. But we're not here to be liked. Right. And that's what art does. Yes. That's what authenticity does. Authenticity evokes a, re a reaction. There's a visceral reaction to authenticity. Yes. You either resonate with it or you don't resonate with it. And if you don't resonate with it, you're being given an opportunity to evolve and to love more and to be more inclusive. So... That. I'm so happy that people have judged the shit out of you. Like it makes my heart so happy that that <laughs> has happened um, because even though that has been present and I'm sure as a sensitive kind of empathic human being, it's been hard at times for you. 
what you've done is draw out of them the inauthenticity. Mm. What you've done through your presence is draw out of them the pain, draw out of them the fear, draw out of them their biases. And we're seeing it on a national level now, right? Of course, uh, yeah. In America, right? We're yes. seeing it. You know, all of these views and all of these uh, energies and all of these things that are being expressed now in the public domain were always there. It's just now everybody's seeing and experiencing it. Right. And, and yeah. people are shocked. You know, yeah. wow, like where did this come from? Well, it didn't just appear. It's always been there, right? Always. So you're a catalyst, you know, in who you are. And uh, I'm so grateful because honestly, if people can't love you, and people can't embrace who you are, Chris, then they should just stop meditating. <laughs> if, if, if you can't see God in the next person that you meet, then what are you doing? What's the point? Mm. So, so, so if someone like Chris Grosso ends up on, in front of you on a stage and you're, you're, you, you have any feeling toward him other than love, then that's a distortion inside of you that you have to embrace inside of yourself. Yeah. And at that point, people should be writing you thank you letters for providing them an opportunity to evolve beyond their own limitations, their own boxes, and their own uh, their own limitations. I mean, this conversation is making me want to get inked up uh, just so I can join you and uh, further destroy more paradigms and more boxes. <laughs> uh, because that's what it's about, brother. It is, and and I, you know, personally, I, th I have to go back and think like punk rock and hardcore because yes, being sensitive. I've gotten, like I said, a thicker skin, but I learned very on it, like 13 years old, like I began unplugging from the proverbial matrix and um, really stopped like allowing what mass media was feeding and started to, even though I didn't have, I look back at those years now and I didn't have the context at the time, but that was my first connection with spirituality, something yeah. deeper than myself, a sense of literal like oneness and you know community and beauty and passion and it was raw and it was visceral and to this day you're right like I work on when I get those judgments um and I judge too I'm a human being and I catch myself and I know that that is always about me it is a projection and I I use it as a practice of okay Chris what are what is that projection or judgment you're making about that person actually saying about yourself what's inside of you that you know is is setting that off because it has nothing i don't a lot of times i don't even know that person and i will judge uh something they're wearing or this or that and and to be honest sometimes people are just assholes so you know you you have to call it like it is but a lot of the time it's just stupid things like and and i catch myself and i have to be compassionate because i'm human and humans do these things but at least i'm taking that initiative to call myself on my own bullshit and own it and work with it. Um, and so I, you know, I, I just find it so amazing that two individuals like us from literally different parts of the country and, and different worlds and ways are now here in a space where what we've been through, we're, we're now able to churn that and use it as a means of helping others while helping ourselves yeah. in healing. So it's, it's, to me, I just consider myself a truth servant. Uh, authenticity, as you know, is huge for both of us. And yeah. that's one of the best things I was ever taught before I, my first book was published. My friend Lissa Rankin, who is a New York Times bestselling author, wonderful person, she said to me, Chris, I know that you pride yourself on integrity and authenticity. You are going to be caught in a whirlwind once this book comes out of invitations and this and that. And you need to draw your integrity line in the sand right now 
before that happens. And that is some of the best advice I ever got. Because had I not been aware of that, I could have easily slipped into, you know, the the fame and not the fame because there's nothing wrong with notoriety or money. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, what are you doing with it? How are you handling it? And mm-hmm. so anyways, um, yeah. And that's what I appreciate is that here I'm speaking with you, Panash, and you have been on Oprah and you have, you know, you're a very no, well-known individual. You have helped so many people and continue to, and you just like myself are continuing to evolve and you're always open to shifting, changing paradigms. Yet here you are being your authentic self. And what you said about, you know, you also getting criticized just like I am. And it, it's not just about outsides. That means a lot to me to hear that. So mm-hmm. How how do you work with that? Because I know a lot of people struggle with that, whether they're in this field or not, they struggle with the judgment. And aside from knowing that it's a projection of the other person, what do you do with it? So for me, it was very interesting because one of the biggest kind of stereotypes that I fall into is that I'm Indian. So then naturally, by extension, I'm a guru. But the only reason why they do that is because people lack imagination. So, you know, so I'm Indian. So then I'm the next Deepak or I'm a guru or I'm a spiritual teacher. If I was white, I would have been the next Wayne Dyer when he was alive, rest right. in peace. Or, you know, if I was uh, African-American, I would have been Michael Bernard Beckwith. But but it's like people need to quantify and analyze and segment and put people in boxes of understanding. And I think the reason that I've been judged or that I've received so much criticism is because I don't fit in any of those boxes. Um, people have this preconceived notion of what I'm supposed to be like or how I'm supposed to present or how I'm supposed to show up. But that's only because they have too narrow a definition of what spirituality actually is. Any definition that we have on spirituality is inherently a limitation. Yes. Because what we have to do is take every definition that we have and expand it out to infinity and then we have the truth. Right. Right? Right. Then we have the truth, right? So so for me... um, when I first started speaking, I would have people that were very vocal in the audience that would literally challenge me. Uh, you know, this is bullshit. What are you talking about? You know, you're only 20 something years old. What makes you an expert on this? Right. And it was very vocal. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And it, w- and it would happen and it would happen and it would happen. And ironically, this person that was challenging me would always be sitting next to my wife, Jan. <laughs> Unbeknownst to them, they would be sitting next to my wife, Jan. So my wife, Jan, is there in protection mode, just listening to all of this nonsense going on from this person, just going through her process around it, of course, not wanting to, you know, say something to them. Right. Uh, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm just laughing. And and it broke for me. I was doing a talk in Aspen in a church. And um, it's a lady that walked in late. She had no interest in being there on time. It's like she specifically came to, to, to deliver this attack, deliver her opinion about me, right? So she missed the whole program, basically. Showed up, sat down in the back, in the darkness. It's funny how reality works, right? right so right. she's in the darkness in the back. So she raised her hand and I said, oh, the lady in the darkness in the back has a question. Can you please ask me the question, right? And she's like, oh, I didn't feel anything. I don't believe in you. I didn't feel the energy. You know, you're just taking advantage of people, blah, blah, blah. Like, who are you? And she just went off on this tirade, right? And uh, and I just sat there and sat there and sat there. And here's what I realized, Chris, that these people had to show up outside of me to the degree to which I needed them to be present in the room. Mm. But the very second I stopped doubting myself and my contribution, those people went away. 
Wow. That was the transformation for me. And then also, I've also had a hard time with other teachers and other presenters in the space because I'm basically saying, hey, everything you're doing in the name of spiritual development is great, but what it's doing is creating a secondary egoic layer. Yes. Let's deal with the pain. Yes. Let's deal with the pain. Let's not create another egoic layer, a right. point of identification. Uh, and everything we're doing in personal development is just making our prison that we're living inside of comfier. Yes. So we've got a nicer toilet, like one of those Japanese toilets with a bidet, you know, pink fairy bars, nicer sheets, but you're still in jail, right? right. So for me, I've always been a, a conscious disruptor that's kind of asked people to go beyond both of these conversations into authenticity and alignment and integrity. Yeah. Because I, I believe that authenticity is, is the antidote. It's yes. the antidote to the domestication. It's the antidote to the suffering. It's the antidote to the pain. Like for me, vulnerability has been so important in my journey. Right. You know, having the courage to say, hey, you know what, I was sexually abused and, and there was molestation that happened and I was bullied and all of these things happened in my life. And, you know, and, and being transparent about the dualistic nature of reality has allowed me to expedite my return to oneness and connection. Right. You know, and, yeah. and that for me has been a journey that I've been on that's involved many different people, many different modalities, many different frameworks, just just people loving me. Yeah. And, and, and I'm just so grateful for those people that have loved me, that, right. that, that, are, that, that love me in moments when I couldn't love myself, that, that, that love me when I was in the midst of sabotaging myself, that love me when I was in the midst of undermining what, what was being created for me, that, that love me in the midst of me thinking I knew something about something, that love me in the midst of, you know, all of who Panache is. Right. And, and that to me, that constant thread of love through all of the forms has allowed me now to just break free like there are no strings on me anymore uh yeah. it's just a complete sense of freedom and a, and uh and honestly like if my one day if i walk into a room and there's nobody there it would be perfectly fine with me you know or if i walk into a room and everybody gets up and leaves that would be great too like it really doesn't matter anymore yeah because when you first start out and you start sharing a message the only person that you're sharing it for is you right it's very interesting yes. it's like all of the people that are in the room are there for you Right. And, and that's just a bigger um, way of understanding being human. Like everything that's happening is all happening for you to remember who you are. That's how loved you are. That's how crazy this whole thing is. And, and, and once you break through that layer, then you realize that life is happening as you. As you are. So how you are internally is how life is showing up externally. And so it's just been a phenomenal journey. Uh, you know, I've played uh, Jay-Z and Kanye during meditations. Uh, I've played Muse during uh, contemplation exercises. Uh, I've played uh, rave and EDM music uh, really loud yeah. at events. And people are like, what is this? You know, <laughs> I came for a spiritual meditative process. And I'm like, great, music is spiritual. Get over it. So yeah. I have taken the box and the paradigm and not just expanded it, but smashed it. Yes. Uh, and, and that's been a part of breaking free of this whole domesticated human experience. You know, I, I don't I don't need to play the game anymore. I, I and I, I don't need to belong. I don't need to perpetuate limitation and, and suffering. Uh, I don't need to conform. I don't need to be likable so I can be commoditized so that I become an algorithm, someone's lifetime's earnings potential. I don't, I don't want to be like any other teacher because I'm not like any other teacher. Right. I'm, I'm unique in who I am. I want to be in my uniqueness and I want to be as free as I can in that uniqueness. I, and, I, uh, and, 
and that's been an amazing journey for me because really the, the, the only thing that's really helped me is the willingness to observe what's happening inside of me. Yeah. And to and that's really what vibrational transformation is. It's I realized that beyond spiritual development and personal development, we have to finally cultivate the courage at some point to just be who we are. Yeah. And the reason why we engage in these two uh, wheels, which are like training wheels, is because we haven't got the courage to be who we are. We don't have the courage yet to be out there as we are. But beyond both of these two platforms or paradigms of human evolution and experience, courage is the key that leads us back to authenticity and alignment and integrity. And so everything that I've been sharing has been about having the courage to be ourselves, to having the courage to feel what we need to feel inside, yeah. to, to having courage to be responsible and accountable for our inner state of being, yes. uh, and, and, to, and to recognize that life is happening as us. Yeah. Um, so those are some examples of, of what's happened. And I think that actually at the pinnacle of my success, like right after Oprah, was probably the most challenging time for me because that's when the judgment came from my peers and colleagues. Uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the, that success uh, to them almost felt like they were missing out on something. It's sure. like, you know, how is the you're on Oprah? You know, you don't you've never written a book. What have you done? You've never done anything. Yeah. You know, how is you got there? You know, I've been doing this for 20 years or 30 years. People know who I am and I've never been on there. Yeah. So how is it that you got on there? You know, and, and then also then do you think you could get me on there? And it was just <laughs> and it just and it became this other layer to break through. Yes. You know. I know so, all too well. Go ahead. So, so I've gotten to a point now where I'm none of the labels that people choose to put on me. I'm none of the boxes that society needs me to live inside of. I'm none of the, I'm, I'm none of the, the, the quantifiables. I'm none of the measurables. I'm none of those things. Who I am is authentically who I've been created to be. And that's all I want to express. And that's all I want to support people in being able to express in this world. And none of the rest of it means anything to me. Yeah. I refuse to compromise my authenticity, who I am, the alignment that I feel inside of me for anything that the material world has to offer. Yeah. Because if there's any amount of suffering that I have to go through in order to have something, I know, or I already know it's not worth having it. Right. So I was cured of the illusion of the fame and being, being out there. I was cured of that very quickly. Yeah. Uh, very early on, I was shown very, very quickly that that's not for me. Uh, it, it's not where I thrive. It's not what I want for myself. Right. And most importantly, well, it's not how I want to feel. Because in order for me to be that person, I have to suffer. I have to conform. Yes. I have to play the game. I have to be on a circuit. I have to say the things that uh, I have to think about what I'm saying. I have to analyze how I'm going to present. I have to not challenge. You know, I have to perpetuate these two paradigms that, that are great. From a from a beginner standpoint, but after a while, have to be transcended to get to another place. Absolutely. Uh, and, and and I refuse to be anything other than punk rock, brother. I, refuse, <laughs> I would say hip hop, but hip hop's become pop, so yes. it's not even hip hop anymore. I, I refuse to be anything other than punk rock. <laughs> I can't live any other way. Yeah. There are. I will say, side note, there's still some good current hip hop, but you've got to really dig for it. Um, but yeah. I'm still stuck in that old school, conscious '90s. You know, that's my era. Um, but yes, I, you know, and I think that's why when I connected when recently, when we did the other conversation, even though it was through Skype within like two minutes, I felt, and this has rarely happened to me on Skype. It happens in person and even then rarely, but I felt a very sincere, like heart to heart, like, 
and not to sound woo woo but I, I really felt that with you. And, um, and it's something that even right now, as I think about it, like I'm getting all mushy, but like my, my heart feels warm and, um, and that's me being authentic and I can be punk rock and still talk about stuff like that because that's what I felt and that's what I'm feeling. Something you'd said, um, that I definitely experienced. And I think a lot of people do to a certain extent. And it's almost like a rite of passage in a way is um, what Chogyam Trungpa called spiritual materialism or also known as spiritual bypassing. A little bit different, but kind of in the same boat. But what you mentioned about adding on the layer, I absolutely did that. When I first stepped on the path, it was like a new boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, like, oh, this is so exciting. And, you know, I got the malas and there's nothing wrong with malas and there's nothing wrong with incense. But, you know, I was doing it in a way where I'm like, this is what spirituality looks like. And um, and all I was doing was, like you said, I was spiritualizing my ego rather than peeling away that uh, metaphoric onion. I was adding mm-hmm. another layer to it, which, yes, so much of popular spirituality does. And a lot of people will argue that well, you know, at least it gets people's feet in the door. And and sure, that's true. But what happens from what I've seen, the majority of the time is they get their foot in the door and they stay there because it's comfortable. It's like a Band-Aid. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I'm doing a bit of work on myself, and but I'm not doing that deep inner dive where the real, like the muck, like if you really want to transform and heal, it gets unpleasant. And if your yeah. spirituality does not include times of unpleasantness to put it like mildly then i again i can't i don't want to judge anyone i'm just wondering how authentic is it really well i'll i can cover that part for you please Uh, it's very it's very simple bro adaptation isn't transformation yeah and and what's happened is people have adapted to the pain they've adapted to the limitation but they haven't transformed it and you and i both know and and this has actually created kind of the body of work that that I'm really so honored to be a part of now is that um, when I first began, uh, I realized very quickly through my participation in telesamanas and, and, and different things where you know the, 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 these people were coming on and looking for a product to solve their problems, uh, I, I quickly realized that the same people kept coming back over and over again. And, uh, and that didn't sit right with me right. Uh, to the point where I had to excuse myself from participating in those events because if we're not delivering transformation, then what we're doing is perpetuating adaptation. Yes. And in no way do I want to perpetuate adaptation. Uh, like every book that I write, everything that I do is going to deliver transformation. It's, it's not going to, it's not going to be comfortable for you, uh, to watch a video or to read a book or do anything that I'm involved in because the discomfort that you're feeling is the discomfort of the, of the ego, of the, of egoic existence, right. the discomfort of what needs to be experienced. So more and more as I've evolved, um, I've broken through all of these different layers and it's come down to, uh, vibrational transformation came into being because we, we in the, in, especially in the Western transformational paradigm for the last 40 to 50 years have had this preoccupation with the mind. Yes. You know, it's about change your thoughts to change your life and shift your beliefs and stop thinking. And it's all been about the mind. And it's because Descartes at some point in his ignorance said, I think therefore I am. Right. And that was the most stupid sentence ever spoken into existence because he put thinking before being right. Actually it's, I am, therefore I think. Yes. So, so the whole transformational paradigm and space has been operating inside of a flawed notion 
that we're going to shift our mental processes and mental states. We're going to take a bad thought and replace it with a good thought, and life is going to transform. And it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Why? Because transformation happens at the level of feeling. Yeah. It happens at the level of emotion. So when I started to examine myself and really, really, really like move away from every notion of who Panaceous I was that was being presented to me or that, that was being required of me or requested of me, and I started to really deeply go inside, I discovered that there are different layers to who I am. Yeah. There, there is a physical level, right, where most people have this preoccupation with themselves as their body. Then there's the mental layer where most people have this preoccupation with themselves as their mind, as their beliefs, as their thought processes. Then there's an emotional layer. And the emotional layer is everything that we've repressed or suppressed inside of us. Okay, so it's the anger that we won't feel. It's the sadness that we won't express. It's the fear that we won't, you know, be available for. And then underneath that at the core is the essential self, the authentic self. So the game, if this was a video game, the video game would be break that essential self out of that prison in the same way that the cartel managed to break Chapo out of that Mexican jail. Right. Right. That's what we need to do. The the game is how do I liberate this authentic self from the dominance of that unresolved emotional state, from the dominance of the mind and the beliefs, from the false identification as the body. Right. And then how do I facilitate the merging of that energy with the greater energetic field that exists around me as my aura, right? Right. How absolutely. do I facilitate the merging of them two? Because when that happens, that's oneness. Yeah. Until that's happened, you're not living in oneness. Right. So I very quickly began to focus all of my attention and effort on that emotional layer. Yeah. Because I realized that that was the layer that was enshrouding the potential of the soul or the essential self or authentic self. And that if we focused on that emotional layer, because emotions are just energies in motion, yeah. then naturally there would be a shift on the mental level, on the physical level, and then at the level of reality. Absolutely. And this is how vibrational transformation came into being, yeah. was, was through cultivating the willingness to, to address what's at the core that most people want to bypass, avoid, not deal with, not look at, not feel at all costs. Yeah. You know? so, so the whole Western spiritual paradigm that's based in the mind has led to adaptation. Okay. Yeah. It's led to adaptation because all of a sudden now we're thinking positive thoughts and substituting old beliefs for new beliefs, but we're not, we're not going deeper. We're not going deep enough. Yeah. We're not going deep enough. And what we have to do is go deeper. Right. And this is what I love about you because I think you've been to the depth of, of, uh, you know, what it means to be human in a way that's very real and very honest. And, and, and that, to me, makes you a, an even bigger transformational catalyst, because people don't realize that the degree to which we've 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 suffered, or the degree to which we've experienced pain, because that pain existed before us. Of before we, were born. We, just, we just came into this uh, state of of being human, where the the dominant human experience is separation and pain, yeah. and it makes no sense to us because why are people behaving this way when we could all just be loving each other, right? Right. Uh, and so, but once we break through that emotional layer every other aspect of life begins to transform. Yeah. And that's the work. That's, that's, if there is anything as work, if there's anything as transformation, that's what it is, bro. It's not, it's not PDF presentations. It's not freaking techniques and modalities. Right. It's, you know what? Sit your ass down, breathe and relax, but you give your body your attention because your body's a storehouse of the unconscious and welcome your feelings. Yes. Welcome your feelings. Welcome whatever there is to feel. Because how you feel is the truth of you. Yeah. 
right? It's like when you walk into a you, you can think of 15 million positive thoughts, right? But yeah. if you're sad, people can feel that you're sad. So then what's authenticity? Authenticity is at the level of emotion. Right. Authenticity is at the level of feeling. That's authenticity. That's what that's where real belonging and connection comes from. It comes from saying, you know what? Well, I'm really like sad and depressed and I don't think I can do this anymore. Yeah. I don't want to be here. This is hard. Right? That's authenticity. It's not, you know, wow, I had this amazing transcendent experience and Vishnu appeared to me in his fully extended incarnate manifest form, you know, infinite nature and bopped me on the head like yeah, that's great, right? But where does the connection really happen? It happens in the two of us as human beings saying, wow, bro, I see you. Like, I love you. Like, thank you for making it. Like, thanks for being here. Yeah. Like, thanks for going through everything. Because in the absence of all of those things that you went through, like, you wouldn't be here. And then I wouldn't have the opportunity to experience this unique lens of divinity that is you. Thank you. Oh, that's sure. authenticity. Yeah. And vice that's versa. love. That's love. Like, that's what it is. And you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head so eloquently. For myself, you know, I, I will throw myself under the bus and say that I use spirituality for years as just another means of aversion. I was in that head-based, I'm going to meditate to transcend and, and reach oneness so I can get out of the body and not feel my feelings. And again, there's I still meditate but with a different intention today, it wasn't until, and even when I go back and look at my first book, Indie Spirituals, that came out five years ago, and I scroll back to like the beginning of my Instagram feed when, you know, I, I, my literary agent and publishers were like, you know, you need to have this social media presence. And I still, I cringe at some of that stuff because I see, yes, I was, I was still going through the transformation. And yeah. I mentioned that because it wasn't until and I've always struggled with being in my head and overthinking. And while I'm very sensitive when it comes to my own feelings, I often, uh, it's hard for me to get in touch with them. So it wasn't until I started undertaking uh, EMDR therapy and ART therapy, therapies that bring you into your body and ground you, that yeah. I began to truly sense authentic, like deep, healing, reintegration, reowning things that had been suppressed into my unconscious that were, you know, unbeknownst to me, dictating my everyday being in, in the world and not just affecting my my well-being, but others, because, again, mm -hmm. I would project them onto others. And I still do. It's it's a work that it's a lifetime work. But what I noticed is once I started doing that and coming into my body, I felt more authentic and in the beginning, you know, with the first book coming out with uh, Beyond Words and Natria put it out and I'm getting invitations to speak at Wanderlust in places, you know, part of me was really conflicted. Like I'm punk, but I want to uh, I do want to be accepted. Like I want I'm passionate about this and I don't want to blow it. But after that was when I really started getting into this inner body, yeah. feeling my feelings, emotions, everything you said. And that's when I started yeah. to notice Everything's shifting in a way where even on my Instagram account or my social media, I post whatever I am enjoying in that moment. Or if I'm not like one of the greatest sayings that I, that has rung true to me and I don't know who it's from, but it's OK to not be OK. You know, yeah. that's OK to feel sad, to be angry. It doesn't make you less spiritual. Mm -hmm. I used to bypass that and suppress it. And 
No, like, yeah. so I'll post stuff about that and it's not all love and light. And I've had marketing people, you know, approach me and be like, you know, if you worked with me, we can get you to this level and that. And it's like, I have no interest in that. If it happens yeah. organically, wonderful. If it doesn't, that's okay too. So, you know, I'm just so grateful that you are uh, sharing from a place of that and that, you know, again, like I said, that's becoming slowly, but it seems to be shifting in that direction. And I am honored to be in your presence and to, you know, sit here and share yeah. this time and energy and everything with you. I've taken so much away already in, in this short time. And these are the conversations where I hate that I have like an hour limit, give or take, because <laughs> I mean, I know we're both busy, but I feel like we could just do this all afternoon. And yeah, I had a million things I wanted to talk to you about today. And but I feel like exactly what we needed to talk about was talked about. And we still have like five minutes. So with that said, I don't know if there's anything you want to say in response to that. Or I definitely did want to share about the conference coming up. And it's OK if we go yeah. over. But um, I usually like to give the person I'm speaking with the last word. Um you know, if there's anything we haven't addressed, anything that is coming up for you or anything. I think, that, I think, I, I think just a couple of things that I want to just catch with you about that, that, that I think would be helpful for people is that, yes. uh, and I'll, I'll use music as an example. Okay. Yeah, so, great. so when hip hop first came out uh, and by the way, thank you for today's post on Instagram. Uh, oh, my birth <laughs> month is run, is run DMC, awesome. which makes perfect sense. Uh, <laughs> so, 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 so basically when hip hop first came out, it, people just had a calling to share this music form. Yeah. But the music form started to make a lot of money and it became a business that generated billions of dollars and then it became a career. Yeah. And I just want to let you know that I so deeply respect you for following your calling because with you, it's not a career. And I can recognize that in you because that's for me, it's a calling too. Sure. It's not a career. Yeah. Right. Now we can, we, we happen to be good at it and we have to be able to support our families through doing it and whatever that is. Yes. However, we would just do it anyway because it's the only thing that we know to do, which is love people, yeah. right? Which is an extension of the degree to which we've been able to love ourselves. Right. Um, I was recently at a, uh, an event and uh, had some time with this wonderful human being. And she told me about a book called The Pendulum. And mm -hmm. uh, she basically said that, you know, the pendulum swings uh, on the planet every 40 years. And that the last time it swung was in the 1980s and it swung to self-interest, narcissism, greed is good, making money, more accumulation. Like the 80s were all about that frequency. Right. So the 40 year cycle, the new 40 year cycle begins in uh, 2020. Wow. And it's all about contribution and sharing and community. And you and I are going through this evolution in order to be able to prep, be prepped for the next 10 year cycle which is 2020 to 2030. And that's when organically, all of a sudden, everything you're doing is just gonna catch fire. Mm. Because you're in the right frequency and the right alignment for everything to just take off. So for both of us, the next 10 year window, 2020 to 2030, is gonna be the peak sharing window of our lives. Wow. Uh, and that's why we're being expedited through this evolution. And I can say that about you because it's true for anyone who has a calling. Yeah. So I know that most people that are listening right now have a real calling. Like they just want to help people and it's been hard for them. Yeah. You know, they're looking at they're looking at other people's Instagram feeds, they're looking at other people's successes and they're like, What's going on? Like I really have something to share. Why am I not reaching the ma the masses in the way that such and such is? Yeah. So I just want you all to know that our time is coming and it begins twenty twenty. And it's going to be a 10-year window. 
where we get to redefine what it means to be human. We get to redefine what spirituality means. We get to redefine what personal development and uh, transformation means. We get to redefine everything, bro. Like, that's why we are who we are. Um, the other thing that I'll say is that I know with you, there have been certain life events that have led to you being able to come into this awareness and this expansion. And for me, uh, one of those pivotal things that happened to me was almost losing my daughter, Celeste, uh, who is now four years old. And Celeste was born um, in 2015. And that was one year after my book came out. So all of a sudden, I'm at this place where just on Oprah, I'm primed, you know, everyone's kind of positioning me to take over from everybody in the genre, like you're the next thing, like, you know, you're the next Deepak, and you're the next whoever, and you're going to take over from everything. And we want to make sure that we're aligned with you so that we can profit from that every step of the way. And, uh, and there were people around me at that point that were just seeing that potential. Um, the best thing that ever happened to me was my daughter Celeste's choice to be born uh, in 2015, February of 2015. And she saved my life um, because in that moment, uh, first of all, we didn't know that she was going to make it through the pregnancy. Then had she made it through the pregnancy, then uh, we probably would have had to have palliative care because they weren't sure that she was going to make it. Not only did she make it, she had five open heart procedures, uh, pacemakers, da 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 da, struggled, went into heart failure, uh, had a heart transplant subsequently, uh, almost two years ago, and she's great now. And that period of time pulled me out of being panashtasai, out of all of that. It took me away from everything that I honestly wasn't ready for. And it really made me go deep inside. And, and the breaking point for me again was I was in this chapel in this uh, hospital in Wisconsin. And I'm just sitting there. And the, the level of powerlessness and hopelessness that I felt in that moment was so all-consuming that I just wanted to die. Mm -hmm. uh, there was nothing that I could do to make the pain go away. Uh, there was nothing that I could do to avoid feeling what needed to be felt in that moment, that the pain was so all-consuming that I had two options. Either, either I just killed myself and just didn't want to be here anymore, or I finally surrendered to all of the pain that was inside of me for all those years. And in that moment, I just said, you know what? Like, it was in a chapel, so I'm like, all right, divine, like, you know, this is where I am. There is nothing that I can do about any of this. If she's meant to die, I accept that. If she's meant to live, I accept that. I don't want to feel this way inside anymore. And so for me, the, the doorway that really kind of was the catalyst to, to me being who I am now was that. And, you know, I, people say to me, you know, she's so lucky to be your daughter. And I'm like, no, you have no idea. Like, I'm so lucky to be her father. You know, I thank her every day. You know, she she corrected my heart defect. You know, she she she's helped me get in touch with what's, I mean, I just feel so emotional right now even talking about, like, she helped me get in touch with what's really important and what really matters. And you know what? It's not all of that stuff. It's not all of that stuff. You know, it, it's, it's who we are as individuals. It's relationships. It's connection. Okay. And, and the most important thing is getting in touch with what's really inside of us and honestly being available for it. And so her, choice to be my daughter, which I am thankful for every single day because she has changed my life, um, has taken me on this whole other trajectory and this whole other journey. And it's led me to this point now where I can, like you, because of everything you've gone through now, 
you know, just in different ways, just kind of hold this space of just like, we just love you. Like do whatever it is that you need to do. Like we love you. Like we get it. Like, you know, I, I honestly don't think that there's anything that anyone can do in the presence of both of us that would stop us from loving them. You know, I, th- I think, I think between the, through the course of our lives, I think we've pretty much seen everything. Yeah. So, so, so at that point it's like, okay, just do your best, whatever it is. Yeah. You do your best. Cause I've tried my whole life to do all of these things. And guess what? People still love me. So you do whatever it is that you need to do and just know that it's okay. You know, Absolutely. And, and that's the, that's transformation. Like, that's what it is. It's like, holy cow, like you and I have gone through so much that we can just be there and go, okay. Yeah. Just let me know. Let me know when you're done. I'm here. I love you. You know, whatever it is, like, you know, I love you, like whatever that is. And it's that, it's that, that's what makes the difference. And that's why your whole platform is going to completely take off in the next 10 years. That's why I know it in my heart. That's why it, you know, and I couldn't be more honored because it's time, bro. Like it's time for people to look in the mirror and, it, and it's time for people to look into mirrors that they wouldn't ordinarily look into and love them. Yeah. It's time. You know, yeah. we have to get over ourselves. We have to get over all this nonsense. We have to get over all of the limited boxes that we've painted ourselves into in the corners. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you because I, I just so value that about you and it's so rare in this world and, it, and it's rare uh, in this transformational space. And, and I want you to know something, you know, as much as you hold Ram Dass and Tara and these different people in high esteem, I feel that same way about you. And, and, and I feel that way about you because again, like in the absence of doubting yourself, doubting your life, going through everything you went through, self-hatred, self-loathing, addiction, whatever that was that you went through, bro, holy cow, like you wouldn't be here right now. Like I wouldn't have the pleasure of, of meeting myself in you like so thank you because in the absence of any of that like you wouldn't be here you wouldn't be here and that's what everyone needs to get in the absence of their anger their sadness their addiction whatever that is that you're fighting against right now in the absence of that you wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be able to love you yeah we wouldn't be able to love you we wouldn't have the honor of loving you the privilege of loving you so thank you and thank you. And, and I want to let you know the feeling couldn't be more than mutual. And as much as I do, I hold you in the same regard as Ram Dass and Tara and the other great teachers. And it's not that I put any of them on a pedestal because I learned very quickly to never do that. And I would never allow anyone to do that to me. Um, I, you know, I'm just here to share experience and try to help others avoid some of the pitfalls I've been through. And, and I know you, you come from a similar heart space and, it's just such a privilege and honor uh, to, to share that with you and now to be connected with you and, and to be a brother with you in this journey, especially as we are in this breaking point. You know, I mean, we've been through it before, but this is really like we are in a very scary time and uh, chaos, they've said, precipitates great change. And, and here we are. So I am honored um, to be walking this path and and shining whatever light I can to help others right beside you in in the process. So, you know, just to, I think that's a great place to end, but I do, Panash, want to, and we're not, obviously anyone that's listened this far knows we're not here to sell anything. Um, right. I, I like, I can't sell from the stage people that aren't in the know, like they talk about, you know, trying to you know, slide in that you have books or, you know, I don't, I can't do that. I, I can't market myself, but it is important to me 
that we do mention, you have an amazing conference that you are presenting in Phoenix uh, in just a few short weeks. Um, if yeah. you could tell us uh, briefly about that, where people can find out more information, and we'll be sure to include the link for that as well. So we're living on the, on the dawn of this kind of uh, era, which is many to many, which means that people have to recognize that the divine love, uh, light, whatever we want to call it, is speaking through us through so many different forms. And I wanted to see what would happen if I gathered together people who had a calling and put them in the same space as each other. I wanted to I wanted to roll the dice on authenticity. I wanted to roll the dice on people that really, really, really were passionate about what they were talking about. Mm. And so I'm putting together a conference called The Global Gathering. Uh, historically, this event has been my event that I've done for all four days. But this particular year was for me the dawning of my wanting to share everything that I had been blessed with, with people that I felt had the capacity to take it and run with it and to expand on it. And so the global gathering this year is Chris Grosso, Michael Beckwith, Julianne Huff, Rosie Mercado, JP Krimi, Guy Finley, um, Tama Keeves, uh, Sandra and Daniel Biskin. I mean, it's basically everyone who's played some role in my life or who has impacted me or moved me in some way. And I want people to come and connect with these individuals because in connecting with them, you're connecting with a part of yourself. And they're gonna remind you who you are and they're gonna remind you that it's okay to have the courage to be authentically who you are and to live from that place of truth. And as it relates to you, Chris, I can't tell you how many people have texted me and called me and thanked me for the fact that you're gonna be at the conference. Wow. And actually, there are people coming specifically because you're going to be there. And wow. uh, and I'm, I won't say who those people are. I'll, I'll share when we're off the interview. But but they specifically said, you know, hey, can my son meet uh, Chris? Because uh, my son's coming because Chris is there. Like he really resonated oh, with Chris wow. and he would like to spend some time with Chris. Yeah. And I said, absolutely. Oh, and course. so there are people coming specifically because of you, because of, of you and their connection with you. And, uh, so, you know, and that makes my heart so happy because that in and of itself is everything for me. That's me everything for me. So, so if you're ready, uh, to engage in an experiential weekend where it's not about PDF presentations and information and adaptation, but it's about authenticity and looking in the mirror of truth and embracing what you see or embracing the discomfort that you feel inside that keeps you from loving what you're seeing, then come, because that's the future paradigm. Yeah. That's the invitation, is to come to the authentic, come to come back to the authentic truth of who we are, to stop being normal and start being natural, you know, to stop being a domesticated human who's a unit of production, and to start being that wild, free version of you that you were born to be, uh, because in, in that breakthrough, everything becomes available to you. And so August 23rd through 26th, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, you can go to my website, panashasai.com, and there's a link right there that goes to Global Gathering, and uh, Chris will be there, and I'm so honored uh, that he said yes, and that he's going to be there, so thank you, bro. I'm humbled by the invitation, and before we end, I do want to make it very clear to the audience that just one of the many reasons I respect you, Panache did not ask me in any way to mention this conference. He said, let's just have an organic conversation. And I understand when I have a lot of guests on, you know, they have a book coming out and and I get it. You know, we need to talk about that and promote. But you have this huge conference coming up and not once 
in in us you know planning this event did you uh or you know uh, whom I, an assistant i worked with ever ask yeah. me to address that and that to me is just another sign i was i was shocked to be honest i was like wow this guy really 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 is the real deal like i knew it but it's little things like that 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 you know i pick up on and uh and my heart and my entire being is so grateful to you grateful that we've connected like i said to be a part of your upcoming conference to now call you a friend and and for us to be in one another's lives it means the world to me and to our listeners i am sure that this is going to be one of their favorite if not favorite shows of the year so panache i thank you for everything you've done and everything you continue to do your vulnerability your open and honestness you're just your ability to put it out there in a very real way um and I'm at a loss for words beyond that because it's just a heart thing beyond that, really. So, yeah. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, you so much. And I yeah. appreciate you. So, again, listeners, uh, please, if you're checking this out on the Be Here Now Network, just simply scroll down. You'll see links to Panache's website. You'll see a link to the conference. Also, we'll include a link to soulspring.com. Uh, or is that dot org? Yeah. I dot think com. it's dot org. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, we'll, we'll make sure we check on that yeah. where. Uh, a lot of great articles um, on that page as well. So, Panache, thank you for everything. Thanks, bro. Love you. Love you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.